If, I mean, don't do it for me, but if other people are warm, then that's great. Does anyone have any Tylenol? I can't take that. I need just need talk about what does redemption look like for boys and girls. Um, the boys and girls, that language we use because... Um, in our relating styles as boys and girls, we're not actually living out of biblical manhood and biblical womanhood. So what does redemption or maturity look like for boys and girls as they move into manhood and womanhood? Little girls. What does redemption look like for little girls? Well, where she appears tender as a little girl and where she appears innocent, um, there's a sense that there's a hollowness there. There's an emptiness. And this little girl would tend to be trying to fill that, that void um, through having others care for her, through manipulation. And so redemption for the little girl would necessitate a core sense of self. And that sense of self really is no different from the identity being in Christ and giving her the ability to attend to the needs of others instead of manipulatively demanding that others take care of her. So she relates by taking, and instead of her sinful relating style being one of taking, she becomes one who offers. Ability to offer her needs in a vulnerable way. So instead of um, drawing out from uh, her spouse or the world around her, um, drawing from them life and making them take care of her, um, she's going to actually name her needs. And this is vulnerable. This is a risk. Uh, because she understands that her needs may not be met. By putting herself in ability to be in a relationship, by allowing others to meet her needs, rather than manipulating people to um, take care of her. So she has to take the risk of naming what she actually needs and inviting others into that. That's extremely vulnerable. Mm -hmm. But that's part part of what redemption looks like mm -hmm. for her. When I work with little girls, the language I use well, the language I use a lot is represent yourself. What is going on in you that you are hiding and speak to it. You have a need, you have a desire, but you are either manipulating to get it as a little girl does or just acting like it's not there and you're behaving like a little girl. So what would it look like for you to say, I long for more, husband, knowing that he's going to fail you? We talked last night, kind of made the joke of like, husbands, do you ever feel like you're never going to be enough? And I saw a ton of heads nod. And the reality is that's true. You're not going to be enough this side of heaven. Um, but so it's, it's a challenge for women in general 
um, to lean into those longings and desires, knowing that they're actually not going to fully be met. And yet that's what Christ-likeness looks like. Um, and so the, the, the language we're going to keep using is risk and vulnerability. So for her to put herself out there in vulnerability and risking herself by actually representing herself. So it is moving towards strength and um, a more passion-filled um, request and invitation rather than quiet and manipulative. So it doesn't say in the Bible that Jesus was... Uh, a risk taker or vulnerable? Do we extrapolate poorly from knowing Jesus that he was vulnerable and risky? Do you see that in Scripture? If so, say say so. How do you see Jesus um, being one who exposes himself, um, who is vulnerable? Okay. Okay. That whole, that whole thing on the cross, that's part of it. Yeah. 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 Um, another thing here, just as way of sort of talking about all of these things, we're inviting the little girl to feel deeply, mm-hmm. to hurt deeply, um, but also to move. And there's this beautiful um, piece of, I think it's... Uh, the Voyage of the Dawn Treader in the Chronicles of Narnia where Eustace is wearing um, dragon scales or he is a dragon. And then what happens is he, he really can't feel. And ultimately what Aslan does is he, he cuts deeply through the scales and exposes the little boy underneath the dragon scales. And it hurts. Once, once he, even in the water, he's in pain. Um, and we're inviting that kind of relating we're inviting you to actually feel what you actually feel, whether you're a little girl, macho boy, whatever it is. So let's just keep that in mind. So, um, Any questions with little girl of what that might look like redemptively for you to relate? Okay. Um, party girl, where she would appear to be free and fun, she's truly enslaved to... Uh, an inauthentic version of herself. She's putting on this uh, part of herself that may be, part, may be truly part of her personality. She may actually really be fun and kind of fun going, and yet that's all she's giving you. Um, and so where she can be the life of the party, um, drawing, her, drawing life out for her would be risking invulnerability. Um, we talked last night about how the party girl commitment's kind of a four-letter word. So it would be saying, um, I'm in. Um, I am willing to actually talk about hard things. I'm willing to talk about not even hard things, but intense things and not make a joke, um, not try and cover that up. Um, It would be very visibly uncomfortable for this woman um, to engage in that. And yet that is what moving towards redemption for her uniquely would look like. Um, So again... I know we're using the language risk and vulnerability, but it's going to kind of uniquely look a little differently for each one of these relating styles. Um, For her to kind of actually allow things to be serious, um, when I was in school, I was actually, we actually ended, parted our friendship pretty poorly, which was really hard, Um, but I was friends with a party girl, and she was so stinking fun. Um, I loved being around her. She was awesome. 
And um, part of why our friendship ended was she said to me, you know, I feel like, Megan, we just go out for a glass of wine and you just like want to talk about stuff. And I just want to have a glass of wine. And I was like, I get that. But like, I want to know you. Um, So how can I do that without like infringing on you? Um, And she was and then I felt hurt by that. So then I offered her some toughness. And that's sort of how that played out. It was really unfortunate. But um, for her, she also would make jokes about everything. You'd offer something like serious and there would be this joke. And I now looking back, felt really hurt by that because it was dismissive. Um, There was this, oh, like you just made a joke when I just sort of shared something that felt risky, um, all because she didn't know how or didn't want to engage it. Um, so yeah, the, the party girl and the uh, equivalent party boy, um, essentially, they they would really like to hang out mm-hmm. with themselves. Um, <laughs> they they want to party, and it's hard to party if you're not partying. So um, that that it just it's like oil and water, you know. So. You're up. Um, okay, so we're going to go to the good girl, nice girl. We talked again last night about how this is kind of the, a lot of people in, in your typical evangelical church. Um, redemption for her is going to be speaking the truth in love. It is not going to be to just be okay with things being mediocre, things being complacent. Um, movement for this marriage would be uh, there actually being more conflict. Um, and I know when that's invited, there's often a place of, well, I don't really know how to do that well. Um, I, okay, I hear you. I hear that this is boring. Ooh, I hear that this is hell. Uh, I don't know how to do that. Um, and I think part of that is also just saying, hey, I don't know how to do this, but I want to. Um, offering that longing, offering that vulnerable piece of longing and desire, knowing neither one of you know what you're doing. Um, and yet there's that longing. You connect in that longing. Um, learning to be kind and not nice. Um, learning to be peacemaking and not peacekeeping. So a nice girl is not ever going to challenge her husband, Not I shouldn't say not ever, is rarely going to challenge her husband to more. And so as you see your husband not leading your family spiritually, not engaging in spiritual things, not engaging you emotionally, not engaging your children well, your silence, uh, you are participating in his sin. Um, and so there's also a real sense of calling to not participate any longer and to engage lovingly and kindly to call him to more um, and not be okay with the flatline stuff, even though that feels like a lack of disruption. Disruption is what health would kind of look like from here. If the church has a lot of nice girls in it who started moving towards more maturity, spiritual growth, the church would be a lot more messy in general. And that's a good thing. We can handle that because this is a place for sinners, not for the saints only, right? I mean, we're all saints. If we're in Christ, we're all sinners, regardless of whether... But the messiness is what this is about. It's, it's, it's trusting the body to be the body. It's trusting Christ to be Christ and letting the mess be real. And so it's, it's inviting a little bit of turmoil. And that, that could be said for the nice boy as well. Busy girl. <clears throat>
What does redemption or maturity look like for busy girl? Well, the busy girl can serve Jesus, but she can do so without falling in love with Jesus. She's very active, very busy. She she takes care of things, but um, she relates a lot more like Martha than she does Mary. Um, and so there needs to be a transition to focusing on relationships instead of on the tasks, to start opening her heart instead of merely using her hands. Not to say that hands aren't important. Um, and also, this is a place where there needs to be vocalizing needs of order, of expectations. Uh, the busy girl is wired, most likely, for um, administration and, and, and delegation and, and keeping things in a certain way. And in their marriage, the busy girl just needs to name these things, uh, not have this cultural um, or atmosphere of expectation and possibly even demand, but to just say, honey, this is what I need. I would feel really loved if you would stop leaving your muddy boots in the living room, whatever. And there's just a way of naming things um, in, in, a, in a even really, I don't want to use the word vulnerable, but it, when you name those things, instead of just reacting out of those things, it's, it's a different kind of engagement. You're setting yourself up to possibly dis- be disappointed. If I tell my husband, please don't leave, you don't really wear boots, but please don't leave your muddy boots in the living room, um, and then he does it again. Oh, like that sounds really silly, but I'll tell you, it slaughters my heart sometimes when that happens because I don't feel heard. I don't feel valued. It doesn't seem like what matters to me matters to him, and I shared with you all, I, I can vacillate with busy girl, and so something that has been helpful for me is, yeah, I've been – using the skill set that I have to use my voice um, to communicate those things fairly and kindly so that I do bring order to my home. We were created for order. Look at Gen- we went with Genesis. We were made for order. So that is a, a unique way, I think, uh, that women that lean in this do reflect God's image in that way. They bring order out of chaos. And yet when that order and that busyness becomes the priority, you're li- we're living out of that in a broken way. So I want to Yes, all of these are broken relating styles, but there's not, I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater because there are, oh, better language, personality, personality traits, traits with yeah. these that are uh, bring gifts um, that, that have pieces to them. This is just the way we have perverted them. So uh, using Busy Girl as an example, again, your assertiveness and your leadership and your ability to create order, what a gift to your family. What a beautiful way you reflect what God had intended, and yet the perversion of it is sort of what we're not leaning into. And I have felt if I can communicate, hey, it's your day off. I know that we want to do these things. These things really need to happen in our house for the week to go by. What can that look like? Um, That goes way better than me not saying it and then losing my mind and going tough girl later because I'm so angry that he didn't know and couldn't read my mind. (laughs) that these things should happen. I am not a mind reader. (laughs) Any questions on uh, Busy Girl? So when Busy Girl, well, Tough Girl next. Uh, Very close to Busy Girl, um, shares many things, uh, but more more in the the realm of anger and expression of that... um, where she appears passion-filled 
and uh, somewhat of a gifted leader, she runs over and knocks down those in her wake. So um, she can use her gifts of leadership and assertiveness and uh, representing herself vocally to serve in tenderness. So for the tough girl to be uh, more mature and uh, sort of redeemed would really be to take off the tough exterior, to acknowledge the softness, um, to engage the tenderness of her own heart. That is there. It's, it's not like she is not feminine. It's not like she's not truly um, a caring, compassionate, but th- it's just layers and layers of shell that have been built up over time that hides that. Um, and o- ultimately, the tough girl is insulating herself through toughness. She's pushing you away because she doesn't want to get hurt. Whereas the little girl uh, would be pulling you in so close that she protects herself from you leaving, in a sense. Um, so where the tough girl would seek justice for her own self, uh, seeking to vindicate herself and to make her wounds ache less, redemption would be engaging her actual hurt, engaging her woundedness, and offering her justice to the world around her and fighting for causes that empower her um, and those around her as opposed to destroying those around her. So ultimately, the tough girl, redemption would be seeking to bless and not harm. It's seeking to uplift and not tear down. It's seeking to be respectful and even submissive, which to a tough girl would sound pretty tough, mm-hmm. pretty hard. Um, I shared with you all some of the stuff that my and our counselor said to us. Um, and one of the things that he said to me after repeating, I probably say a hundred times over the course of our time, you are not a B word because I really believe that. He also said to me at one point in a session by myself, he said, I actually think you might be one of the most tender-hearted women I've ever sat with. This man is um, in his, well, he's almost 70 now. He's ordained in the PCA. He's got a counseling degree. And um, so he's sat with a lot of people. And I lost it. I wept because I never felt more known in that comment, even though I was presenting so much of this you, I'm just hurt, I'm angry, da, 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 all, you know, just with intensity. He just, he slowly, he's a big guy, he just kind of sat and he said, Megan, I think you might just be one of the most tender-hearted women I've ever known. And that was felt so true. Um, so I think that's something as, we're call, as I'm called to not live out of tough girl. It is me being vulnerable. It looks like me saying, hey, Luke, I feel hurt by this rather than, hey, you did this. Um, it's offering how it impacts me. It's using the practical stuff would be using I language of how I feel and how it impacted me rather than naming and attacking what happened. We're all like onions. We all have layers. It, the, the time that this guy uh, invested in us and you, that didn't happen right away. Um, and we're talking about counseling sessions where the trust is built, there's an intensity, there's a level of commitment, which doesn't develop as easily in normal relationships. Um, And so it's just, you know, it takes time to get to those places. Um, But what what I want you to to capture from that is that this guy's name is Chuck. Chuck pointed out her dignity. He didn't name her sin, although he did that along the way too. 
he pointed out her dignity, and, and dignity has a way of sticking with you and kind of renaming you. When you think you're a B word, um, it reminds you of your true identity, your true giftedness, and that's a big part about redemption mm-hmm. is just being confronted with who you really are, mm-hmm. not the facade. Mm-hmm. And so that was a really beautiful thing that he did. I think it's more uncomfortable for us to sit in our dignity. That comment made me more uncomfortable than had he looked at me and said, you are such a raging B word. I would have been like, yeah, no. That would have felt more comfortable. But when he was speaking to this tenderness that I guess he saw or hoped it was in there, um, <laughs> there, was, he saw it. There, was, there was dignity there. Yeah. Yeah, it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy a little bit. Um, yeah. There's something about the tough girl that um, very much so um, will sabotage mm-hmm. in order to protect so that her hopes, her longings, her desires can't be engaged. So there's a, a very present undercutting of the the relationship that she does literally fulfill her own prophecy and becomes tough, becomes estranged because she just can't live in the tension of longing and waiting for intimacy to happen. Mm-hmm. Does that but make sense? All of the relating styles kind of do that in a unique way, a sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy. If I assume that you're going to reject me, I'll just go ahead and like make it way like self-sabotage this so that I then controlled how you rejected me. Does that make sense? And all of that gets back to what we're talking about. This is all about avoiding intimacy, right. either aggressively, known. like a tough girl, or passively, like you know the other people. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, okay. So, little boy, what redemption and maturity looks like for him? Um, it's really just to start using his voice um, and take initiative. Something that um, Luke said in his sermon a week or two ago when he talked on marriage was um, men, we need, men need to be proactive um, in their marriage, not reactive. And little boy is all about absorbing um, and being reactive to his wife uh, who may be being aggressive or may be passive as well. And so movement for little boy is taking the initiative, leading um, speaking the truth in love, um, looking more like the passion-filled and intense Christ that we know um, instead of needing others to serve him, to initiate serving instead of being served. Um, instead of asking others to lay down their life for him, he'd be willing to lay down his life for his spouse. Um, courage um, is would need to really be invited out of this man. Um, a sense of, a uh, little boy doesn't have much a sense of self and has thrown his identity uh, away. And so there'd be, there's, there'd be a sense of, um, yeah, where does your identity lie? And I think we're asking that with all of these, but with little boy in particular, um, when I work, I'm, I'm working with a couple little boys right now and there's this sense of, who are you? Um, and I had one guy tell me last week, you intimidate me. 
um, because you know who you are. <clears throat> and I said, well, I, I feel scared to talk to you because I, I don't want to run over you, but I'm scared to engage you because I feel like no matter what I say, kind or unkind, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run over you. So there's, it was actually a really redemptive conversation. Uh, finally kind of got to talking about those things. So I think for him it is being willing to say, uh, yeah, I, I need to step up. I need to lead. I need to move. When I'm in relationship or, or sessions with little boys, the idea here is that um, you don't coddle the little boy mm-hmm. in relationship. You actually treat him like a man. And you expect him to act like a man. And you call him to the ways that he's not acting like a man. And um, you can do that in very ugly ways, and we do not think that that's the way to handle it. That's shaming. But to invite, not mm-hmm. demand, but invite the little boy to show up and act as a man. That's the idea. If you're married to little boy, um, yeah, you letting him stay there, and by not speaking to the impact of that behavior, you are participating in that. So again, trying to kind of also talk about what does it look like to be married to this person. Um, it is calling him out. It isn't saying, I want more from you. I feel like I'm married to a shell of a man. I long for more. Show up. The impact of you not showing up is this and offering that. Yeah. And so how he internalizes that could be, I feel shamed. That could be internalized as demand. That could be internalized as a lot of things. And there's messiness in that. And you probably did some of that poorly. But at the same time, there's just a reality that he's so afraid that it's going to take a lot of invitation and a lot of movement internally for him to start acting like a man. Um, let's talk about seductive boy or corollary. We could call him sexy boy, party boy, you know, relates like the party girl. Um, so this, this guy would um, draw people in for the benefit of being, um, being filled himself. Um, and the redemption part would be that instead of pulling life from other people and filling his own void, he would actually engage people with something to offer the world around him. So um, that's basically what happened to me when I was in college. I realized I'm that guy. I realized I'm taking from people, and redemption is not um, taking but offering, offering real life, offering real strength. And so... um, in the same way that the party girl wants to have a good time and, and just be just fun and all this stuff, the same thing for the seductive boy, that he really needs to connect with sadness and pain and loss and grief. And in order to truly connect with the heart of God, um, in a lot of ways, he really needs to experience uh, death. Um, he needs to experience emotional brokenness um, instead of just being you know, the fun-loving person that he tends to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's a great deal of movement um, because th- this this guy is going to avoid those things like the plague. He's going to focus so much on enjoyment um, and sort of a hedonistic way of living um, that these things are just going to slow him down. Looking backwards makes no sense. He only wants to look forward. Um, and so he needs to lead his marriage Um, towards engaging the realities of their relationship uh, rather than just having fun and um, sex and pleasure and, you know, all these things, but to slow down and engage um, on a heart level. Mm -hmm. 
and all of that's really foreign and vulnerable and, and, and quite risky because it's exposing. It's totally foreign. And again, I think for men, especially, is they're like, okay, I'm responsible, right? I, I've got to take the, I got to take the first step. Um, I got to be the leader. Um, you don't have to know how to do it. Um, but what it, Chuck actually told me this story that uh, he looked at his daughter who he'd just been intimidated by and said, and not really engaged. He looked at his 16 year old daughter and said, "Honey, I love you." But I don't know how to engage you, but I want to. I want to so bad. I want to know you, and I want to hear how I've hurt you. And he said, like, that did it. Like, their relationship just grew and grew. Um, and so the, with distant boy, the, uh, the sort of the way of relating is just, you know, distancing yourself physically or emotionally. But uh, there's an out. You don't have to have it together. You don't have to know what to say or how to say it, but I think just offering, hey, I want more. Uh, can we try this together um, is, is movement um, in that way. Let's move on to the nice boy. Uh, much like the nice girl, um, needs to be moving from niceness to actual love. Big difference, right? Niceness and love are very different things. Love is not passivity, or complacency, but active sacrifice. Love in itself is not a feeling. Love is an action. So uh, the nice boy, uh, he needs to not be okay with mediocrity, but leaning into the desires and longings uh, that he actually has, naming those things, um, and actually, to a degree, seeking disruption, seeking that out, um, because... For the nice boy, um, there's a sense that he needs to replace compla- uh, complacency with true contentment um, and replacing apathy with zeal. Does that make sense? Okay. Let's move on. Any questions? Um, distant boy. Um, so this man needs to accept the temporal status in the world. Um, he's, he kind of needs to be living in the shadow of his own death, thinking about the fact that he will die. Uh, what's he actually going to leave behind? All these things that he's pursuing his identity in and hiding in, uh, the, the video, that clip that we showed, I thought was just so perfect. Even the language was like, wow, this is the best video. Because, I mean, he literally said, I don't, he was like, I don't do relationship. I just do this. My success is what matters. And this works for me. He had relationships with people, but they were based on efficiency. They were based on kind of this is what is normal. Um, prioritizing relationship over career. Um, not saying, okay, honey, you're unhappy with me. Let's schedule two lunches this week, um, but pausing and hearing her hurt rather than hearing something to fix. So that would look like saying something like, gosh, I hate that I've missed it, and I hate to hear that you're hurting. I have failed. Period. You don't have to fix it. Did you hear that? There's nothing, there's no fix there. But women, if your husband said that to you and you said, I miss you, I long for more, 
I mean, would that not just soften, uh, it would soften a tough girl's heart, even though there's no fix there. So there's something honest about the, the distant boy is, moves a lot. I mean, it, there's a physical movement to his distance. It means slowing down and hearing what is actually being experienced in the home. Um, listening to the hearts and desires and longings of their spouse. Um, the language that I feel like you used was, um, we must learn to come near and condescend the way Christ did. So as Christ sacrificed, slowed himself down to from the glories of heaven and came down to hang out with us idiots, um, if in marriage that's what God's calling our husbands to do, the distant boy, that's going to be really hard for him. But that's that's kind of what that uniquely is going to look like. Uh, macho boy, uh, accepting that the last shall be first and the first shall be last. Um, in Jesus, um, in order to find your life, you must lose it. Trading his intensity for tenderness, trading macho strength and oppression for meekness, which is kind of a strength that's under control, um, if you will. Um, learning to be weak and broken, humble, tender, uh, finding compassion, using leadership for service, not oppression, using intensity and passion for love and sacrifice. Um, in my story, um, I have had a tendency to relate like Macho Boy. And um, uh, a few years back, we, we did this really great exercise where we name ourselves according to the, the sin that's kind of stuck to us throughout life. Um, and that, that sinfulness for me, the way I've been impacted and the way I've lived out of that, my relating style, being macho, um, I, I found my, my name being that I felt dangerous. Um, I felt like um, I was just not quite safe. And some of that was because um, I related like a macho boy, <clears throat> and there was a tendency for me to hurt others with a lack of self-awareness um, and powering up if there was ever confrontation, and I just felt rather dangerous. And um, the exercise um, lets you spend some time really thinking about that, feeling the impact of that, thinking uh, relationally in that, and then um, trying to, you know, not play God, but to think, what is, what is God's redeemed name for me? This is a name that um, kind of highlights the true dignity that you live with. Um, in, in light of your sin, in light of your, your false name and the way that you relate poorly, and uh, my name that I felt fit um, was Sitting Bull. And the idea was that um, a sitting bull, there's strength there. Um, you can see the strength, but uh, even though in some ways this analogy breaks down a little bit, like you probably wouldn't still approach a sitting bull, there's, there's a, a safety enough that you can sit. It's not like the bull is standing ready to charge. There's, there's a noticeable strength, but it, there's safety. Um, not to mention, um, as well, the, uh, the historical figure, Sitting Bull, um, was a holy man who led his people to victory. And I just, I found a, a great deal of um, dignity in those things for myself. 
And um, part of my story is just living in that reality that, yeah, there's a personality trait here that I can be um, strong and I can engage the world with vigor. Um, and there's a way that that can be redeemed and, and has been in many ways. Um, and I'm not living out purely of the false name of being dangerous and unpredictable, um, but I'm, I'm actually um, more like Sitting Bull. Does that make sense? Do you guys have any questions or want to interact with any of the kind of redeemed, matured way of relating? <coughs> Can I try to answer that? Uh, courage looks different for every man because we are wired differently. But courage for every man does risk and is vulnerable um, because there's always fear. If courage is present, it is, it is sort of moving into the fear. And so personality traits being different, courage not looking macho, is to just put yourself in a position that you could be hurt, that you would lead. That's, that's equally difficult for the macho boy and the little boy to lead as Christ. They're different, but they're equally difficult. Um, so there's sort of this unifying theme of what that would look like to be courageous and vulnerable and to expose for the sake of building intimacy for any of the boys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think it's safe to say we all sin in all of these ways. Um, there are just, these are just intended to be helpful categories of maybe your sin tendency or kind of what you would, what your go-to is um, in that not to say that a tough girl wouldn't be a little girl, which is like, that doesn't make sense, but you can. It, it does make sense. Um, and I think so- something that... Um, was interesting. I'm taking couples counseling class, and uh, he kept saying, you know, glory is harder to name. Like, it's harder to kind of come up with this material than it is 
to name the depravity part, to name the sin part. And so I think glory looks differently, kind of what you're saying, Stephen, a little bit, unique for different people. And yes, there are really clear things that we're called to scripturally, as we talked about last night, and I think we'll, we'll get a little bit into that here. Um, but yeah, it's going to look different. And so I think that's what's hard, too, is um, as we live out of our unique personalities, our unique giftings, um, you can't just look at the next guy and say, oh, I'm going to do, Luke seems, he seems to be doing it. I'm going to, I'm going to look like Luke. Like, no, you'd be missing a part of the way you uniquely reflect God's image. Is it wrong to be content in your sin? We're going to try to talk about what is um, Christ-like manhood and what does Christ-like womanhood and Christ-like marriage look like. Um, I think that will cover that. But at, at the essence, I think, as we tried to name at the very beginning, intimacy is sort of this knowing and being known without shame. And what we do in light of our sin, our relating style, either aggressive or passive, is that we hide ourselves, we use fig leaves, we separate ourselves from that knowing and being known because we live under shame. And so we want to we we move away from that, and redemption is, in essence, um, inviting that true intimacy and relating as Christ, and hopefully we'll explain more about what that means mm-hmm. in the next sesh. The two words that come to mind are risk and vulnerability. That is thematic for all 10 of these relating scales and all the million dots in between. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, using busy girl as an example, I, I said, like, bringing order out of chaos is a way you reflect God's image. That's good. Um, but it's the way we pervert that that avoids intimacy is what the sin is. So it's not throwing the baby out with the bathwater and, like, yes, we are a new identity, but those parts of you, even the ones that sound scary, like tough girl and macho boy, um, there are gifts there. There is an intensity and passion um, there that, that is a way we uniquely reflect God's image. Um, but used abusively, used sinfully, is abusive, is not a way that that reflects. So, Debbie, even, like, going back to what you said, there's a, there's truth in, like, yeah, you shouldn't be complacent there, but that doesn't mean we just 
erase it and like, well, who am I? Start over. Yeah, and we're going to break. I'm going to take the final word here. But to your thing, you know, it's really hard to know even your sin if you're not living in relationship. And it's certainly hard to know sort of a redeemed vision for who you would be without living in relationship. Uh, So the messiness of the church that could happen, that that should theologically happen, that we should welcome, that's where the redemption actually finds its origin, right? That is beautiful. Um, So we're going to talk a little bit more about community, relationship, but there's a sense that this authenticity that we're hoping that models after Christ, and I think we'll show that, is kind of where both our sin lives in the authentic um, confession, but also in, in where the redemption comes from. So let's, uh, let's end there, take a few minutes.